Hi everyone, I'm Amber Rose, the Religious Hippie, and welcome to A Catholic's Perspective. For those of you just finding this podcast, let me tell you a little about myself. I was born and raised a cradle Catholic until I fell away from the church for eight years. I just recently came back to the church and I could not be happier with where I am today. I am currently a junior in college and I'm studying graphic design. I am an ambassador for multiple amazing Catholic Christian companies and I love working with all of them. Now, some of you may already know me from my popular religious hippie social media channels, such as TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have all kinds of Catholic content on there, so don't forget to go check those out. So the reason I wanted to start a podcast was so that I'd be able to have a longer format which people could listen to from wherever they are. I particularly wanted to address issues that young Catholics face today in the secular world, and I want to do that by providing information along with commentary and even a little of my own opinion. I can't lie, from time to time I might be discussing very controversial issues, and some will find my opinions unappealing. But I do this out of my faith and service to God. We must keep communicating with each other, respecting each other, and put each other on the path to sainthood. I think you'll enjoy the podcasts coming up, and I thank you for being here with me. everyone, Amber Rose here, and welcome to my podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Christian versus secular entertainment, and my guest today is actually the producer of this podcast, Todd Fisher. He's also the host of his own podcast called Quest. So welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on the podcast I produce. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, an, it's an honor, and thank you for producing my podcast. <laughs> no, it's it's great. It's great. Uh, it's funny because, you know, those of you listening, uh, you haven't gotten to hear all the bloopers that we just did. So there's actually a lot of editing in this podcast just to get this one started. So it's funny. So maybe we'll have a blooper reel down the line. Honestly, that would be hilarious. I'd love that. <laughs> I uh, I am happy to guest on this. You were a guest on mine. I certainly wanted to return the favor. And uh, I have, you know, before I moved into doing the spiritual podcast, uh, which is actually based on a book I wrote, which is a spiritual book, which became a bestseller. Before that, in an, an earlier version of Todd, I worked in film and television for many, many years. So when you talked about wanting to do uh, some commentary on film and television and video games, I was like, let me be your guest because I can totally talk about this for sure because I've been on kind of both sides of the fence with this. Exactly. So I thought you'd be like the perfect person to be able to interview about these types of things since you've been in quite a few films and documentaries and things of that nature and have actually seen firsthand uh, the corruption in Hollywood and everything like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting, this secular entertainment versus kind of like Christian entertainment. I think what we're going to get into today will be music and film and TV and books and video games. We're going to kind of cover all that. And I'm, and I think really the thing is, is where the line is, or if there is a line. And I, so I guess I think my, I have a question for you, just kind of kick this off. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, you like? Where do you think the line is? Is the line with, is it as simple as something as offensive language? Is it sex, nudity, violence, drug use? Like, is there a line in there somewhere, or is it just a type of entertainment? What, what do you think? I think there definitely is a type of line. If you think about it in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's all this stuff. There's there's sexual stuff. There's, you know, murder. There's violence. There's gore. 
Um, but there's a line there. We know that sex, for example, is a gift, you know, in the Bible, it is used to bring about life. And, um, we see, and, you know, um, uh, the, you know, we see in the Bible where people who use it differently get basically destroyed with asteroids. Um, so it's, it, there is definitely a line in it in secular uh, TV shows and movies. A lot of times that type of stuff like sex, drug abuse and all that stuff is used to make the story more dramatic or to engage the viewer into something um, that the flesh wants. And whereas in, hopefully at least, in most Christian Catholic movies, um, if those topics come about, the only appropriate way to show that a couple has had sex is if they have children <laughs> in right. Christian movies. Um, and so uh, in most Christian movies, like that's how they portray that this family, you know, did that, but it's not provocative and it's not for the flesh entertainment. It's, it's for life. Um, so it, there is definitely a line in morals when it comes to secular and Christian TV shows and movies and stuff, entertainment. And you, but you watch both, right? Yeah. So basically, I have this whole thing out on my YouTube about TV shows that I will never watch slash regret watching. And then TV shows that I actually love watching and everything as a Catholic. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly watched my fair share of secular movies and TV shows. And I still kind of do every now and then. But I'm a lot more picky now than I was maybe when I was a teenager. What, uh, what do you regret watching? Oh, there's a lot. Um, specifically, a lot of satanic um, shows such as Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, Supernatural. There's a lot. Um, even Jane the Virgin, I regret watching. There was a lot of subliminal things in there. Um, those are probably my top three, along with Hunger Games and a couple others, just because the morals were so off. And I don't think I noticed it as a teenager because I was raised in the secular world. And to me, this was just entertainment. It wasn't real. It wasn't, you know, anything. But it really does have an effect on how we view our uh, relationship with God and how we view ourselves. Um, because, you know, we are what we see and we are what we hear. I feel like, uh, you know, in a way, I, I'm going to be a counterpoint to some of these things. So I want to know, is it fair for me to, to suspend my disbelief for a minute to believe in something fantasy or science fiction for entertainment, or is that, is that a violation to my Christian beliefs in a way? Um, I honestly, it really depends because you know how children have imaginations mm -hmm. and they can, you know, they can believe in something that's not real. Um, because they're, they're little, you know, they could say, Oh, Spider-Man's swinging from tree to tree right now. And you're like, Sure. Um, but you know, it's not real. But when it comes to being more like adults and teenagers, if they believe in the wizarding wor world of Harry Potter, I think that's a little bit of an issue. Um, I think they're putting a lot of their faith and trust and everything in these fantasy worlds nowadays because they're trying to hide from this society we live in, this, this horrible society we live in. And they're trying to find an escape. And through these fantasy worlds, they're finding these um, unrealistic expectations and they're kind of creating their own idealistics for who God is. Um, that's not to say everybody who watches Harry Potter does that or whatever. Um, 
but I definitely see it a lot where people have this warped idea of who God is due to what they watch because the secular TV shows and everything put out this um, content, you know, notion almost that God is this, you know, fairy godmother almost, or he's evil and doesn't, you know, care about you. And, and neither of those are true. Sometimes I think, you know, uh, at least from my time working in the business, I think that in many ways, entertainment is a good and decent public service because people have depressing lives, bad, terrible jobs, problems at home, problems with their kids, problems in their marriage. You know, people have issues and sometimes they can forget about those issues by sinking themselves into their favorite album for an hour or watching their favorite TV show or watching something that makes them laugh so, so they can forget about the debt they're in or the problems that they have. So in a way, I feel like there is some good that comes from entertainment, although the industry is very ugly and there's a lot of corruption in it and there's a lot of greed and ego-based things. I still think for the consumer, there's some good that comes out of it. But I think, and this is kind of spawning off what you just said, I don't, I don't know if reading a Harry Potter book is bad um, because I think people can have an emotional experience, which is important. But I think when you live in that world, that's where the problem begins. Because in like, I grew up with Star Wars and, you know, there are people that are into cosplay and fandom that, you know, live out these characters and want to be Jedi Knights, which are kind of technically its own religion, if you think about it. <laughs> and, and Harry Potter deals with things that, you know, are darker in a lot of ways and yet people want to be these characters dress like these characters kind of live in this world and i think that's the that's the hazard of it is it's one thing mm -hmm. to just consume the story to have an emotional experience and a happy ending and then you move on with your life versus wanting to live in that world does that make sense at all yeah no i totally agree i i definitely agree i used to read so many Ooh, secular books. And um, I still to this day am extremely attached to the characters. And it's not that I read them anymore um, because they are definitely not good. But I was so emotionally attached to these amazing characters that this, the, you know, that um, this writer portrayed and, you know, made in her series that I actually started having this negative um, connotation towards my male peers in high school, because I was like, why can't you be like, live up to this expectation of this guy in this book? Or, you know, I need to be this perfect, you know, you know, a uh, kick butt person, you know, that knows karate. I just, it, I wanted to be these people. I wanted to embody them because I fed off of who they were and that wasn't healthy. I started getting into all these issues of uh, mental health and, you know, seeing myself differently and seeing my peers differently because I was holding them up to basically to an unrealistic unre expectation when I was engulfing myself in this world. And I do believe that reading isn't bad. I absolutely love books, but um, we really need to be careful on how much we read into this stuff and buy into it and how much we let it affect us. Um, because like you really? said, like, I agree, we should definitely have these emotional connections to books and things, but at the end of the day, we need to realize that it's not real and that real reality isn't like that. <laughs> and sometimes that can be a really crushing blow to some people. I think certainly with a lot of, 
Christian families, there's kind of a sliding scale for what's acceptable. <clears throat> I've seen very strict Christian families that um, had very sp specific dress codes. They didn't have TVs in their homes. I remember these kids would come to school and you would, you know, did you watch Knight Rider last night? And they're like, no, I'm not allowed to watch TV. You know, and it's like, <laughs> it was just Knight, it was a talking car. Like, you know, it was, it was nothing, you know, but like they couldn't even watch TV. Their books were censored. These were the parents that would go to the public school and tell the English teacher, my kid will not read that book. Right. And the, you know, like I've seen that end of the spectrum and I've seen people that are very liberal that are in Catholic church every Sunday, but their kids are watching R-rated movies still. And, you know, if there's an issue that comes up, it's addressed or that's explained. And so is there a right or wrong way to parent like that? I do believe so. I think there's a balance. I do believe that we should be at a young age doing things that are age appropriate for our children. We shouldn't be letting them watch Indiana Jones when they're eight years old. We shouldn't be letting them you know, be objected to these things at such a young age, because I feel like nowadays kids aren't kids anymore. They get cell phones before they can even walk and they're not really, you know, experiencing childhood. And so I do believe that there can be over helicopter parenting where constantly censoring what they watch, what they, what they eat, even what they, what they buy. Um, I don't think that's right. And that can also lead to rebellious children who get really, really good at lying. Um, they can basically lie their way out of any situation and the parent won't know any different. Um, so that kind of breeds that rebellious kind of teenager-ism. But on the other spectrum, I don't think it's good for kids to be watching R-rated movies until they've reached the maturity level, which honestly, no offense, but most people don't mature until they're about 30. <laughs> uh -huh. And so due to that, I don't think, you know, these kids should be subjected to like R-rated movies or anything like that. And the parents should still have some sort of uh, parental controls until they are 18. Because I think once you're 18, like obviously you are deemed an adult, but I think it's really important that we're still being shaped and, you know, modeled with our parents. But that, that comes from the parents needing to do it for the good of the child and to, you know, really make sure that they have the maturity for these things instead of just like, here, watch a rated R movie. And then the kids don't know how to process something that may have been in that movie, whether it was sexual, whether it was cursing or blood or gore. And they end up having these psychological issues almost where they can't process it because they don't have the maturity for it because it's not age appropriate. Um, so I think age appropriateness is super important when it comes to entertainment. And nowadays it doesn't seem like there's much of that out there. Do you think the rating system works? Um, I'm going to be honest. No, I think the rating system has changed a lot. Um, I think things that are rated PG nowadays wouldn't have even been rated PG. I think they would have been rated PG 13. Um, the, it just, I don't think, I really don't think so. There are certain things where I feel like back when in the early two thousands, when I first started, you know, watching TV and stuff, everything that I could watch was age appropriate and everything was rated PG 13 or G or, you know, whatever. And there was no cursing in it. But now if you watch a PG 13 movie, 
you can expect an F-bomb. You can expect something like that. So it depends. Right. You know, and it, the hard part in the theaters is that it's actually not enforceable. So even though in R-rated movie, you're not supposed to admit anyone under 17 without a parent, no one is policing that at a movie mm -hmm. theater because it's not required. It's a guideline. Yeah. Um, not that movie theaters will probably ever open again in the world <laughs> where we live in these days, but, but, you know, if it's that easy to get into a theater to see an R rated movie, you, you know, it's obviously much easier to watch it on television or on an app or, or what have you. Yeah, exactly. In the, in the lens that you have for movies like this, uh, how do you look at something like Grease? Grease is a great musical but there's certainly sexual overtones in it. There's a little bit of violence. There's a lot of men forcing themselves on women. I mean, is this, do we still admire this as a great musical or it, it, do the times change something like that? I think it depends on the way you view it. So I personally, um, I never watched Grease until I was around 18. And when I was 18, I understood, you know, everything I, I understood the 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 little things that would go over my head as a kid you know the the subliminal messages and um because of it I it's interesting it really is because you have to view it in those times back in those times you know the sexual revolution was new it was crazy you know um and something that I thought about a lot was the fact that the women who were in Greece, um, specifically uh, Rizzo, let's talk about Rizzo. She ended up thinking she was pregnant with um, Kahiki's baby, right? Was that Kahiki? I think so. Kahiki, um, yes. Um, and he basically came to her in the end and he was just like, I wanna be the father. Like, I wanna help you raise this child. Pro-life for the win. Um, <laughs> but, she ended up finding out she wasn't pregnant. She's like, it's okay, I'm not pregnant, you know, and everything like that. She's like, it was a false alarm. And I'm not saying that having sexes before marriage is good. It's not at all. I will never promote that at all. However, um, it depends on your maturity level and how you're willing to take the story. Teenagers today um, who, you know, are raised in that secular world will probably be like, oh, this is normal, like whatever, you know, and stuff. Oh, cool. She's not pregnant, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't need an abortion. You know, no, no. But for us who are at that maturity level where we understand, you know, the gravity of some of these situations, it's almost like um, we can understand it on a deeper level, um, like Rizzo's fear of being pregnant. And then, um, her relief when Kinnicky was just like, I'll be the dad. And then she was just like, no, it's okay. You know, like, I don't know how to re really explain it, but it, for me personally, it really depends on maturity level and where you're at, you know. It's funny. It's, it's funny. You've really taken a deep dive into this way deeper <laughs> than I thought you were going to go because yeah, I've watched this movie a lot. And, um, and, and I think it's really funny how deep you went into Rizzo's character because she's actually my least favorite character in that, <laughs> in that musical but um but where you went with it gave me things to think about with this and really her predicament that she was in explains a lot about how she felt about Kaniki. it explains why her mood shifted and how she felt a certain way and part of her felt abandoned part of her blamed him part of, like 
and then he you know he leaves her because there's anger they're in a fight with each other and she he shows up with another girl and then there you know there's like a million things going on and you kind of do understand Rizzo a lot more when you kind of take the deep dive into what she was experiencing because in a musical where there's the beats just keep going and there's another musical and there's more singing and more dancing, you're kind of forgetting for a moment what she's actually dealing with and going through. And I think it's a really interesting you zeroed in on that. Yeah, I think it's actually something that a lot of people in today's society are commonly faced with. You know, sex before marriage means that there's no commitment within that relationship. So if you end up getting pregnant, there's a very big chance that that baby daddy or that baby mama will leave. And um, that's why we have sex and marriage. When you take babies out of sex, and then when you take babies out of sex, you end up taking sex out of marriage. And unfortunately, that's what we see today. And we see the heartbreak of these poor women who have been subjected to this. And many of them need to go through counseling and healing because of it. And it just fully breaks my heart. And when you actually start to slow down in some of these musicals like Grease and, and um, you know, there was a couple others, and you actually start nitpicking at these characters and their backstories and what they might've been going through between these cutscenes. it really becomes clear that Rizzo had these real big um, emotional tra traumas, you know, and, and everything. And so I think it's something that when you slow down and look at it, a lot of women today, and, and even some men can really relate to, which is really sad, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Did, uh, did, did Sandy give in to the dark side at the end? <laughs> the, funny, the, the thing about Sandy is, um, so there is this whole theory that she was actually dead the whole time. Oh yeah, that's a great one. That's a yeah. great internet conspiracy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but for me specifically, um, she turned, she basically, and, and this is unfortunately what happens with a lot of secular music, uh, movies and TV shows is, they take the nerdy girl or the goody two shoes and they turn her into a bad girl or, you know, a, a hot girl or whatever. And I always hated that, you know, induendo because it, it just constantly tells you that you're not good enough. And only if you uphold this fake stature is when you're actually good enough. And I feel like to an extent, Sandy could have found a much better man if she would have just, I don't know. The, oh, the foot, the idiot football player. Come on. <laughs> Yes. No offense to Lorenzo Lamas. I actually know that actor, but you like, you know, know yeah. is that who she was going to wind up with that guy? You know, maybe but, but you never inter know. Interesting dynamic though. Uh, was, you know, the, the pink ladies. Oh my gosh. Are, were really, I mean, I think to, to have kind of a girl gang like that, headstrong women in that era in the 50s is really interesting to write about because you expected it was the women knew their place time frame and they were in the home and to have powerful strong independent women like that is really a nice portrayal in a 50s story the the interesting dynamic is um you know the t-birds are kind of like the bad guys so <laughs> sandy's like this pawn she's in between it's the angel and the devil on the shoulder you know which yeah. way do i go and it, but the funny thing is danny's doing the same thing you know he, the angel and the devil's on his shoulder and you know he becomes what she wants and become you know goes out and lives a clean life and he quits smoking and he he runs track and he wants to do this for this girl that he really likes and then she does the same thing so it's a really interesting 
uh, kind of juxtaposition that happens there. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, but let me, so let me ask you about Christmas movies. How do you think the secular world portrays Christmas? You know, I think <laughs> a lot of people have taken the Christ out of Christmas. Yeah. And um, it's really sad. And we've seen it, you know, a million times in Christmas movies where people prioritize gifts and uh, feelings over Christ and what Christmas is really all about, family and things. And we see it all the time in Christmas movies. And we're just like, nah, that doesn't happen in real life. Like people know the meaning of Christmas. No, people really don't. <laughs> and it's really sad. Um, a lot of times in Christmas entertainment, we get, you know, uh, very interesting movies such as Elf. I'm not trying to bash the movie, but it was interesting <laughs> um, to say the least. And then we have those classics, you know, like Home Alone. We have the classics like Charlie Brown. Oh, Charlie Brown's my favorite. Um, but when it comes to, you know, Christmas and stuff like that, I really do believe that a lot of times um, people forget especially in such an atheistic uh, social, you know, or not socialist, but like um, society, I guess we live in atheistic society. Um, people are afraid of offending people with their religion, which I think is so dumb. Um, we should not be afraid to speak about our religion in the public square. You must live your religion on your shirt, on your sleeve. Um, but I think a lot of people are scared of offending people because nowadays everybody's so sensitive. There is apparently some kind of negative innuendo towards Christ's birth for some reason. Um, now I haven't surrounded myself with atheists and as much as I love them and I do still have some friends um, that are very sweet and I love them dearly, but I have surrounded myself with this community of Catholics. And so I personally haven't had any issues with spreading, you know, uh, Christmas cheer or, you know, anything. And I haven't had to say happy holidays or anything um, because they, they're on the same page with me where it's the birth of Christ. And this is when our savior's born. Um, but when it comes to people trying to warp that, I think, a lot of times people view Christmas and basically any holiday as a price tag. They're like, oh, this is when we can have sales. This is when we can get this done. That, I mean, think about Thanksgiving and then the day after we have Black Friday. Like the, right. day, the day after we are thankful for everything, we are going trampling each other to get stuff. <laughs> right, right. So That's I true. almost, it's, it's like I see these, sales and everything and stuff. And all I can think of is that these people are just looking to make a paycheck off of Christ's birthday or off of this and that. And obviously, you know, we buy presents for each other and stuff, but there's a difference between, you know, us buying gifts for those who are closest to us and people actually trying to make money by, um, you know, I don't know, just, I don't know. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay, cool. It does. You know, uh, uh, it's a there. It's a hallmark holiday in a lot of ways. You know, right. you hear that term a lot, the hallmark holiday, and uh, and in Easter is just as probably just as bad <laughs> in terms oh, yeah. of how how Easter is portrayed uh, in the the secular world. Why is it 
I always wondered this myself. Now I've known people that have worked in Christian film as actors and on the crew end and things like that. I can't say that I'm too well versed in any kind of Christian entertainment, except for maybe um, like, except like the, like the rare, like the rare occasion that I might, you know, catch something on cable that would be, uh, you know, it would be interesting. Um, I also kind of for a little while got into kind of what Mel Gibson's world was with his, <laughs> his movies, you know, because they were always controversial. I wanted to see things like that. Um, right. But, uh, but other than that, like, I don't really know a lot of those films, but I do know that there seems to be something missing in Christian entertainment that makes them incredibly boring to me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is about Christian music and Christian films. There's just something amiss that just doesn't make them seem polished enough. And I don't, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's subpar acting or the directors aren't good or the cinematography isn't quite on a Hollywood level I don't know if there's something missing there like they're well made they're well put together but there's still something missing and right. and it's not heroin use or something like that like it's <laughs> there's still something missing even from a good family film and I, I does that make sense yeah, I think honestly today we're so used to, you know, having constant drama or constant plot twists or something. In Christian movies, Christian movies tend to be more, um, I mean, excluding the passion of Christ, of course, tend to be more mundane. Um, I actually just recently watched yesterday um, the, the song of Bernadette. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I haven't, no. Okay. It's an amazing, it's amazing movie. It was made in the 1940s um, and it's about Our Lady of Lourdes and uh, St. Bernadette and uh, France and during that time. And I was completely intrigued by this movie. I, I was wrapped up in the whole story, the characters, you know, the, the drama, the, the, the way that the actors portrayed everything. Like it was so good. Um, but today, Today, Christian films, um, I have yet to watch, you know, the new Fatima movie that was just released and Love and Mercy, which was released in Poland in uh, 2019. That was based on St. Faustina. Um, but most Christian films today that I've seen, they're, they're following a secular script. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And it's very different from like, the Song of Bernadette or, um, you know, The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima, 19, you know, these 1940 movies that were Catholic and that were not afraid to show the true story, no matter how cringeworthy it was, like, you know, what some of these, not cringeworthy, but what some of these people had to go through. Sometimes I just cringed on the inside, like, why are these people so cruel? And then, you know, the saints reactions to them with kindness and everything. And I'm just like, wow, like, you know, um, but I think a lot of Christian films today follow a more secular script. Like, uh, for example, the prodigal son or not the prodigal son, the, um, is it God's not dead? There was a couple of them. 
Um, and basically I watched this one and this wife and husband get into a car wreck and she basically goes through their whole life because he's on life support. And she thinks back to when they were teens and they started dating. He was in the military. Her dad was also in the military. He didn't approve of her boyfriend. And she ends up having to take him off life support because he can't, you know, survive anymore. And this was supposed to be a Christian film. And there was almost nothing hinting to it. There was this secular idea that God should heal, you know, this man. And of course, if that is God's will, then that is God's will. However, we shouldn't have this warped idea that we tell God what to do. Um, if it's God's plan or if it's not, it's still for the better. And in these movies, I noticed that, um, in the end, even though somebody might die or something, somebody always loses their faith. And it's kind of disheartening to me. And these are like Protestant Christian films, not Catholic Christian films. Um, and it's very disheartening to me to see these movies that are coming out where, um, I mean, there are, there are definitely a few other movies that came out that are very good that I've heard are very good and I'm interested in watching. I haven't seen yet. But for, from what I've seen, a lot of these uh, Christian movies tend to portray God as a fairy godmother, as somebody who should just work the miracles, even though they haven't done absolutely anything to deserve of it. Um, but then the whole thing also where they don't really take into account, you know, um, like early, early church history and things like that. I never see that in a lot of early Christian movies nowadays. It's always in the, the Catholic movies that I see, but in Protestant movies, I never see them bring in church history. I never see them bring in, um, any dynamics besides like, oh, somebody fell away from the church. Somebody's a drug addict. Somebody went through something traumatic and now they're back and they're turning back to God. Like they had this revelation, on the verge of death and they came back to God or they didn't and their family either gained faith from it or didn't. Um, overall, it's, it's just, I noticed there was a huge difference in the 1940s Song of Bernadette <laughs> and, you know, the 2004, you know, Passion of Christ and Mel Gibson, even though it's still a very good movie, rated R, very gory, um, or other Christian movies. It, it, there's definitely wanna, a difference. I want to ask you about that, The Passion of the Christ. Do you like that movie? I couldn't watch it. <laughs> Was it too too violent for you? Yeah, yeah. I think um, that the I think the and this was a kind of a topic I wanted to steer into myself, but I think that changed my way of thinking about how a Christian film could be made. And and to see the violence perpetrated in that film. Yeah, may have been historically a pretty accurate portrayal, exactly. and I think that I think that people need to see that you can't sugarcoat these events. Oh, absolutely! I was the, about to say the same thing. The like, crucifixion is a brutal thing. <laughs> oh, it's awful! I learned about it in my biblical worldview class, and like the it, actual stuff that happens. You know, people don't understand a lot of what happens why why organized religion kind of functions the way it does and why um you know why events are 
are portrayed in real life every year because you want to instill that in people's memory. You want to remind people of it. You want to, it's almost like a master and apprentice type thing. Like before you could ever record anything, plays, stuff like this, music were handed down because you were only able to really hear it or see it in person. So to have people do a, a ritualistic uh, interpretation of Christ's crucifixion every year is important because you have to remind people of this event. And I think it's, that's a really interesting thing, but to see it in film like that reached a completely different type of demographic. And I think I would like to see Christian films move in a way where the content is more intense. I don't want to sugarcoat anything for your eyes. I don't think there's a problem and you can tell me if I'm off base on this because I approach no. this from a, from an entertainment background perspective, but I maybe want to see a Christian film that shows a person become homeless or become a drug addict and see them get to their worst and still see that community help bring you back and really show what can happen when you do have keep when you can keep your faith or you trust in that community you trust in that church and it brings people back from the brink of something terrible i no, would like absolutely. to see that yeah you know? i think one of the biggest things like when it comes to that secular th the secular script i was talking about that most christian movies uh follow today is the fact that they sugarcoat they sugarcoat everything and it drives me nuts i hate it and the main thing is is that sugarcoating comes with this secular idealistic that everybody needs to be accepted and God loves everything and everyone and sin. And that's not true. God loves everybody, everybody. He does not love your sin. He yeah. loves, he is the, he is incarnation of love. He is pure love and goodness. However, he does not condone our sin. He hates sin, hates it. It's in the Bible and there are specific things he hates. Um, and so when they sugarcoat it, they're just like, oh, you know, it's okay. Like, you know, you can sin and then repent later, or, you know, you need to repent, but take your time. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, you can't sugarcoat. You cannot sugarcoat yeah. this stuff. It is so important because I'm constantly seeing that everywhere in secular Christian TV shows. They're just like, oh, God loves you, kumbaya and stuff. And I'm like, yes, he does, but you have to make that decision to turn towards God and turn away from your sin because he is a loving father, but he is a just father and nothing unclean will enter heaven. And so it's up to us, you know, and it's not like, oh, Jesus loves you and you're doing fine. Don't worry about anything. It's like, no, you actually have to work on yourself and be better. Um, and even though I see some of these characters make that development where they do become better, it's, it still has that sugar-coatedness on it. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. 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 You know, uh, uh, the, the, the kind of the proof is in the pudding, like people are fallible. And right now out there in the world, in your neighborhood, even there is someone who has a terrible heroin addiction Yeah, and they're alone or they're with no one, or they're always one injection closer to being a statistic 
there is someone who's resorting to prostitution. They're selling their body for something to maybe to pay rent, maybe to buy drugs, who knows what they're doing it for. But there right. are people that are fallible. They weren't always this way. They were an eight-year-old kid that were going to church with their parents. Something went wrong somewhere. Yeah. And it's either the group of people they fell in with, or it was some influence here or there. But that church door is always open. And that is an open line of connection. And, the, and there's a connection to God too. And I love when someone can come back from that. Exactly. And, uh, and if there's any place that you ever know is going to be open for you, it would be the church. And there are people in there that are willing to help you. And, exactly. Uh, and like, and I'm walking, talking proof of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I think that's, that's interesting. And those are the types of movies I think I would want to see where yeah. there could be some extreme content, but it's like, you should watch this for your own good because it gives everyone lessons. You know, it tells people on one side that they're still welcome back here. And it tells people on the other side, you need to help people you find that are like this, you know, this is how this is supposed to work. And I think there is a, a common ground because right now Hollywood would just have this person fall from grace. They would leave the church. They would become a heroin user. They would become a stripper and then they would kill everyone. You know, right. <laughs> that's what they would do. They would, their way of cleaning up would be I'll extract revenge on everyone who wronged me. Yeah. I've made movies like that before. So, you know, like that. so like that's, know. that's what the Hollywood end would, would, would want to do. Right. Um, but I think that there's a different kind of ending. I've actually, you know, I don't, I'm not really, active in entertainment hardly at all anymore Ben, there were only like maybe two or three scripts that i never got to that i wanted to do one was a western one was a musical and one was very dramatic mm -hmm. and i'll just take steer off for a minute about this one that's dramatic and i never worked on it because it was so depressing the content was so depressing and uh, it was always hard for me to even write it because it would send me into this dark place that i'd take take a while to have to come out of because just writing it was so hard and it was just it was basically a a normal couple you know a husband and a wife and a eight-year-old son and you know they're they're middle class and you know they're a beautiful family and they live in a beautiful place and the husband's an architect and he gets Lou Gehrig's disease he gets ALS mm. and that's the one thing I would rather be hit by a bus have cancer any number of others I do not want ALS I don't right. want to ever get to a place where I'm just locked in with my mind and the, I, that's the I know why people are suicidal that have this mm -hmm. and I spent so I started writing this about 20 years ago and I actually went um I actually worked with um, the ALS Association and I met a lot of people suffering from it and I got their testimonials I videotaped them all these people are dead now oh, wow. and um and I, I, all of them had really different types of stories about how it affected them. And I really took kind of the, all these stories and I worked it into this script. And it was a very dramatic movie. And it, it, I called it In the Arms of an Angel for a couple reasons. Although technically it wasn't even that really that spiritual. I called it In the Arms of an Angel because the first half of the movie was really kind of the husband's movie where he has to you know, he has to be a physical actor. He has to go through all of the symptoms of ALS, all the problems that happen. But right. the second half of the movie really becomes the wife's movie because she becomes kind of the primary care tender. She becomes the person that has to make the money for the house. She's the one trying to get, you know, medicines for him and deal with him. It is worse points. 
Right. So naturally you go through an emotional roller coaster with something like this. And part of that is you're super down, like incredibly depressed. And uh, she has to live with him even when he's like that, when he doesn't even want to be alive anymore. So she really goes through the ringer with this man and he eventually at the end of the movie dies in his arms. So there's a big spoiler. I don't have to make the movie now. I told everyone how it ends, <laughs> but they, everyone dies at the end with ALS in three wow. years, usually. So, um, but well, there was an interesting part in it and I've actually gone back and rewritten it. I don't know if I'll ever make this movie, but if I do make it, it now becomes a Christian film. Because one thing I did was uh, a lot of people with ALS will go to a self-help group and the self-help group is people with MS or people with ALS. And then there's other people there that are suffering from it in different stages telling you I was where you were at and this is how I overcame that. And this is how I realized I needed to appreciate all my time with my, with my young son and my wife or whatever time I have left that I can actually function as a human being. Right. And, uh, and in these, they have all these deep discussions about, you know, people that are suicidal with this and people that are depressed with this and people and how they physically can still function in the world and, and all this. And what I've done is I've shifted all that because I realized that in my script, I hadn't really written anything in about faith. And I didn't give this family a religious background. I didn't give them any kind of religious backstory. It was a missing from it. So what I've done is I've added that in as an element now, and you get to see how this man's spirituality actually shifts his opinion on life. Right. So anyways, That's sorry, really I got amazing, off track. Though. I got no, off track it's good. That. It's good. Actually, um, what, because you've worked in the music or the, the industry in general, I know that you're not too familiar with Christian films and stuff, but do you have any idea how um, secular movies slash shows is hurt slash helped Christians, you know, in the community and stuff? Um, how it's hurt them, but also maybe there's some way that it's helped. Um, boy, that's that's a tricky question. How to answer that? Um, I think that there is a movement for people that are tired of what they're seeing in cinema in a, in multiple ways. I think that this. The, there was a, a time frame where we had a lot of independent filmmakers, the Quentin Tarantinos and the Robert Rodriguez's and a lot of guys like this that were kind of like really exploring like a lot of violence in cinema. A lot of, I, and I, and although I enjoyed those movies, being part of like, you know, popular, popular culture, I, I did like to say, and I felt like they were really well-made movies compared to what the other stuff was there. That kind of time is, is ended. And I think people want less of that kind of content right now. The world is dark right now and people are hurting in a lot of ways. And to see intense content like that, I think people want lighter fare. I think they want in times like what we've had in 2020, people are wanting more support. They're wanting more spiritual help. They're wanting, they're wanting to seek this out. And I think in times like this, dark periods of time, people go to church and they want lighter entertainment. And even the Marvel movies, we've seen those for 10 years now. And although, you know, you don't get really language in that, you don't get sex in it, nudity, like uh, other than some cartoon violence where you never really see anyone die, y y they're not terrible movies, but 
they're also they're kind of mindless entertainment. And I think people are also now making a shift away from that. Like I'm tired of just seeing Marvel movies for 10 years. I just, can you feed my mind, but can right. you do it in a way in which it's not done with a lot of violence or intense, you know, some intense storyline, <clears throat> you know, is there another way? And I think that's where you have a home for Christian entertainment. I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, um, what is your, what's been like your experience working with these secular type of movies uh, with the people that you work with and things of that nature? Oh, they're all terrible. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, it's, it's an ugly, dirty business. It is. And, um, and, and you have people on the crew side and on the, 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 the kind of the public face of it that are just not that great of people i mean you, you know they're they're in service to their ego more than anything you won't find an actor out there in hollywood today who's like i'm doing this for the people no they're doing it for their checkbook they're doing it for their nice homes they're doing it so they can have nice cars all of them are right. that's what they're in it for there's not one that's out there going yeah i'm doing this for you guys i'm making 14 million dollars for a movie for you guys i'm doing all this for you all i give back they're not most right. of them don't even care what the movie is. It's just a, the next job. It's the next temp job. So, you know, already you're kind of, you're, you're seeding kind of the, 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 the deadly sins here in a way. <clears throat> and, uh, and when you get that, and when you get some level of success, you're, and you're in service to your ego like that, what is that going to build? What kind of person is that going to build? What's going to take root there? That you, things are in excess, that you have power, you have money, you can get anything you want. The bad things come from this. Yeah. And I, and I, and you know, I think that, that those are the real problems is that you, you don't see people really turning it around. Like once a year, you'll see celebrities go to the soup kitchen at Christmas and they're doing their public service, you know, cause right. that's part of a PR thing for them. They don't really care about serving food to the homeless. They're doing it because it looks good on TV, you know? No, yeah, and, for sure. and and that's the thing. And I've and I've met nice people, and I've met people that have given back. And and I actually know a significant amount of people that are religious in Hollywood, but it's rare. And celebrities don't like to wear their religion on their sleeve, and Catholics particularly. <laughs> right, right. And uh, and that's the thing is like it's hard to find the openly religious stars out there. Like obviously Mel Gibson he wears it on his sleeve, you know, he has one of the nicest Catholic churches in Southern California and he does the Latin mass that you really like. I know you like that. And, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a private church. It's not technically open to the public. They, you know, he, the, he has select people that come to it and you have to like, you could, you could come to it, but you have to get on a list and they have to check you out and they don't, you know, they don't want cameras up there. And like, they, they kind of have their own, thing going on wow uh, but then there's like you know mario lopez who was in saved by the bell that guy he's catholic he talks about it you know alexa vega and her husband and the whole vega family that were kind of in spy kids and all that stuff like she's always pro-catholic in her stance and everything she talks about like i see a lot of you in her because when she gets on instagram live and starts talking you know she'll talk for an hour on pro-life and you know, how she feels, you know, how she hasn't gotten jobs because she talks about being a Catholic on her Instagram. And it's like, I don't understand 
Yeah, I mean, I I was okay. I was a nerd for Spy Kids growing up. <laughs> like, I absolutely loved Carmen, like you know, Alexa Vega's character and Junie and stuff. I was a nerd for Spy Kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's that's her thing, you know. Her and her 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 and her husband they uh, they uh, they have a, they've done a lot, and uh, they're always uh, vocal about how good religion is for them and their family and why other people should get involved. And for a while she had a clothing company where she was putting out, you know, Christian attire for people. She just started a podcast her, on her, on her own that uh, is very uh, Catholic based, which is uh, pretty good. I think they have one or two episodes out at this point when this, whenever your podcast airs. Very cool. um, So, yeah, so they're, they're doing their thing, but again, you know, it, it's not like, the biggest star in the world right now is talking about it, you know? And right. that's the, that's the problem is it's like, well, you know, Robert Pattinson's going to be Batman, but I don't know what religion he is and he doesn't talk about it. Maybe he's not religious. Maybe he's atheist, but is it his duty to talk about it? I don't know. I think uh, we talked about that a little bit about how these actors almost can't afford to talk about their views and stances because they need like that clean slate in order to actually get, casted for stuff or to even get these jobs and we already seen like you said with Alexa Vega people who actually do speak out about their views tend to be silenced by these big brand companies who get most of their money from these you know anti-Christian you know abortion clinic type you know funding so or they send their funding towards it um it w- for a long time you know, entertainment was run by the Jewish and oh. that that shift happened a lot um, in the last 20 years to where New York based entertainment is still very Jewish run entertainment. Right. Um, but in LA there's there, it's about 50, 50, maybe 70, 30, where the church of Scientology actually has more control in entertainment now than, than the Jews do. Wow. And, uh, and yeah, they, you know, there was a, Oh, it was interesting. They were always kind of the guy behind the guy. In fact, if you look at any movie produced in a 30 year time frame from the you know the late 60s early 70s all the way through into the 2000s it's always a jewish producer Hmm. you know and if you think about some of the top directors of that day like the spielbergs on the crew side there was a very jewish into the business where the actors weren't necessarily jewish The, the on the crew and the executive side was all very jewish and now the, the Scientologists had kind of like worked themselves into Hollywood to control um, a lot of the strings that happened there, but that hasn't happened in New York as much. So it's interesting dynamic, the control that the Jews have had in the business. And you had to think about that also from a propaganda perspective. When you're at the top of Universal Studios or Paramount or Sony, well, not at Sony, but, but in um, other American rooted companies, when you have a Jewish-led company, what is the spin going to be on your entertainment? You know, right? Is it, you know they may not necessarily be making pro-Jewish stuff, but they can definitely make stuff that's not Christian, right? And their influence can be felt all the way down to the script and to the casting. Is if a Jewish executive has a choice to say, "Oh, well, hey, there's a Catholic church." that's shown in this script, in this story, they can say, yeah, let's remove that. Mm-hmm. Now it's just a self-help group. You know? Yeah, I mean, I see that all the time. And I can't help but think about 
you know, all these child actors that have been exposed to stuff like this. Do you have like any experience with child actors and how Hollywood has kind of corrupted them or maybe even helped them to be better and they've seen their own worth and decided to get out? Or what is your experience with that? Um, I worked on a few things that had young actors. Um, I worked on Saved by the Bell. Okay. And a lot of those actors were high school aged at that time. And um, I worked on Beverly Hills 90210. Same thing. You know, you had uh, high school age or young adult because I came on at the end of the high school years and the beginning of the college years is when I came on that show. Right. And I worked on Home Alone 2 with Macaulay Culkin, who was the, you know, the $14 million kid (laughs) when he was 12. (laughs) Richie, Richie. (laughs) So, but I don't know. uh, I don't know a lot of those actors personally. Like I knew Luke Perry really well. Um, I got to know him pretty well, but I don't know how these people adjusted. You know, you only hear the tabloid stuff. You only hear the TMZ stories about these people. I think that it has to be tough uh, for these kids growing up in the business. I think that, you know, you're, you're missing, there's only a finite amount of hours in the day. Right. So think of like, I grew up in a subdivision in Southern Indiana and I don't, you grew up somewhere in Illinois and, and, you know, we had friends on our street that we did stuff with and we went to public school or whatever and had made friends there that we kind of had all the way through high school. And, you know, you kind of had that world, you know, you had your fun make-believe world, your entertainment time and your family time, your church time and your friend time. But now let's say you remove one of those elements and instead of going to school now or having a subdivision, I'm now having a 10 hour a day job and I'm 10 years old. Right. 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 Plus school. Plus. School. Yeah. 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 Which, which would be private with a tutor, you know, right. for Online an hour school. a day. Yeah. And most of them quit school and just become GEDs later. Like a lot of them will just quit by the time they can say, I don't want to take any more. They just quit. So okay. a lot of times when an actor grows up and they get into kind of their high school years, they say, I'm done. I was watching an interview with Robert Downey Jr. the other day, and he was talking about how he didn't finish school. And by the time he was, he was acting in movies, he was working all the time. And when he had, you know, his onset tutors for high school, he's just like, yeah, I'm done with this. Right. And then later on, he got a GED for the sake of having a GED, but he quit school. Now, what what drove Robert Downey Jr. into his problems, right? This is, Robert Downey Jr. is awesomely popular right now because who doesn't like Iron Man, right? Right. But if you want to watch his best work, you got to go back to movies like Less Than Zero back in 1987 or 88, whenever that came out. You got to look at Chaplin. This work that he did was incredible. Like you really watch this guy. He's an incredible actor when you watch these movies. He right. also was at the height of his drug use. Yeah. And, and it's funny because now he makes more money than ever playing Iron Man, barely having to act, but his best work was back at his worst time. Like people don't realize that Robert Downey Jr. went to prison. He was a felon. He couldn't vote. Like people worship this man today. And that's really interesting dynamic because he's proof that you could come back from the darkest place and make this big comeback and he's grateful about it and he's humble about it i didn't and you know what he never talks about i know he's a spiritual man 
but he never really talks about his religion. He never really talks about the source of his spirituality, but whatever he did completely fixed himself because he's been able to be clean and sober, employable again. Eventually they expunged his record. The governor of California took away his felonies and expunged that because he became a good and decent member of society. So right. he is the, the but, but for a while, people thought he would be a casualty. I worked on a movie, I can't say this actor's name, but I worked on a movie called Broken Arrow. Oh. So you can probably, uh, you could probably find this actor if you look at IMDb, but I'm not going to say who it is. But one of the male actors, one of the leads in this movie, uh, we didn't know from day to day whether we would go to his trailer and he would be dead because mm -hmm. he had such a terrible drug problem. Watching the movie, you'd never know. But every day we thought this is the day we're going to go and we're going to find this guy dead in his trailer. Right. And, and, and he still works today, not as often, but he does still work. And, um, and that's the thing is like, so, some people escape this and they become bigger than ever. Some people become casualties. Hollywood's a rough business because you never really know what the catalyst to your destruction will be. What took Robert Downey Jr. off the path? Did he just meet the wrong guy one day? Was he preparing like less than zero in that movie? He had to you know, it's hard to watch Less Than Zero knowing how Robert Downey Jr. is today because you see him do really despicable stuff. It's right. really, it's actually the movie might have more impact today than it's ever had because Robert Downey Jr. is a terrible drug user. There's graphic portrayals of his drug use. There's the things he does to get drugs. He kind of like, in a way, kind of becomes a male prostitute in a way. He has a nude scene in the movie, like it's this is you're like this is iron man holy moly like it's right. you know it's, it's hard to in, see it's really hard to see and even if you can get past all the 80s hairstyles and the clothing it's intense to see it it's very powerful especially knowing like back then you didn't really know robert downey jr so it was believable because you didn't have anything to compare him to you didn't have a lot of work now you see him as this mega superstar and it's like whoa you know and it's it also is intense does i don't know if that makes sense or not but no it does it does and do you think in a sense hollywood contributes to this drug issue that we're always seeing in the world i know that most people who are addicted to drugs aren't celebrities or anything but do you think it contributes to it yeah you know in the 80s they used to budget movies to have cocaine on the sets like they really? used to yeah, they used to actually really openly endorse whatever was needed, whatever party favors people needed. That was kind of the decade of decadence. Wow. Um, but now that's not the case. There's much safer sets now. As much in as that we regard. Know. <laughs> yeah, as much as we know. There's safer sets, but but I think that, you know, actors, I think, it, uh, again, it's all in service to their egos and they can get whatever they want. And sometimes it's a matter of I've got to power through a 20 hour day where I've got to do my own stunts and all this stuff and I'm hurting and I need weed or I need to stay up and I need cocaine. You know, I think the drugs definitely eke into that. I also think there's a significant amount of loneliness that celebrities have because they can't go out and be in public. They can't go sit right. at a particular restaurant. They're hounded continuously. You know, fan is short for fanatic. And once oh. you have fans, that's a hard thing because like Luke Perry couldn't go anywhere without being mobbed during his 90210 days. And it had to be really tough on those guys because they tend to just be homebodies at a certain point or have to retreat. You know, people are like, oh, well, they retreated to this private island to get away from people. That's 
that's so awful what they did. Well, they kind of had to. What are they right. going to do? Go down to the mall? <laughs> you know? I always like, find it hilarious how people are always, um, you know, they, they always have a say in how a celebrity acts or something as if that celebrity or even the Pope, for crying out loud, should be um, better than human. You know, they're always just like, well, you know, they didn't do this. And I'm like, because they're not, they don't owe you anything. I mean, yes, you, you might be a supporter of theirs or a fan, but they're human and they deserve to have space and alone time as well. So it's very interesting to see how people are so self-centered in a sense that they actually want to have a say in how these celebrities should live their life. Yeah. Um, I, I think when you're lonely in that regard too, sometimes you find the bottle and you start drinking, you know? Yeah, I think and a great representation almost of that is Bohemian Rhapsody, the newest movie that just came out about, you know, uh, lead singer of Queen. Um, yeah, Curry. Freddie Mercury. Yeah, yeah, Freddie Mercury. There you go. Um, who was I thinking of? Yeah, but no, Freddie Mercury. Yeah. And how, you know, he literally was on his deathbed. I mean, he, he was dying from AIDS, obviously, but... It's just, it goes to show how he was so cheated and corrupted and stuff. Um, and I think that might even show into a little bit of like the entertainment industry back then. And even still today, how they corrupt people, you know, and they have to put on this mask when they go outside their house. And the only people who truly know if any people know that they're struggling is those who are closest to them. And even yeah. then, you know, it's almost as if they can't tell them because of all these, you know, restrictions and stuff. And then, you know, it's dangerous almost for their family to be around because of paparazzis and it's, it's a mess. It is. It, I feel sorry for many, many um, actors because when they achieve some level of celebrity status, their life can get out of hand really quickly. And it takes an ex incredible amount of discipline to to be able to maintain. And if you're an actor, the actor's actor that is kind of, you dive into your role, like if you're gonna play a heroin addict in the movie to be the method actor that you wanna be, you try heroin to see what it feels like. So you deliver it. And a lot of actors subscribe to that. And that's because they kind of live on the edge and they, they wanna dive into that world for real to make their, their telling of it that much more accurate. So. Hollywood is a weird thing for me because I've seen a really ugly and dirty side of it. It's, you know, it's cruel and the money's here one day and it's gone tomorrow. It's their celebrity status. It's gone tomorrow. The way men are treated, the way women are treated, like it's a ugly, ugly business that has a product that actually probably does help people, but there's no cleaning up this industry. Like there never will be any way you could ever clean this up and make this a clean industry. It's just because it's always going to be rooted in, you know, people having fans and actors becoming godlike in a way and power and corruption and all of that, you know, I mean, you know, right. that almost uh, reminds me of what you said about, you know, how they would actually take drugs to get into their character. That reminds me of how people nowadays constantly tell couples, you know, you should be watching pornography together so that you can get into the mood. It's almost like the same thing. And it's like, both of those things are extremely detrimental to your health. Um, how do you think in a sense, like we could bring back like that traditional Catholicism and I mean, overall Christianity back into films and TV shows, you know, on screen, like to get that portrayal out, even if it is like a little bit uncomfortable to watch, 
but what is like, do we need directors? Do we need actors willing to do it? Like what, how can we fix some part of it? Let me, uh, before I answer that question, let me ask you, do you think the Catholic church is portrayed accurately in secular cinema? Nope. <laughs> I mean, just I look, know. like, look at the, the newest one that just came out. Like, what was it called? The, the Bible, whatever, you know, um, it, it, it's, oh my gosh, it annoys me so much how people misinterpret the Catholic church. I, I do know one thing, what I've, what I've gleaned from it all is that every priest knows how to perform an exorcism. So confession. (laughs) (laughs) They all can perform it and perform it accurately. So, you know, that's, but, but yeah, I don't, I think people put Catholic churches in movies because they're the prettiest churches, but then, then everything that's supposed to go on in a Catholic church is never really accurate from the priest all the way down to the parishioners just is never really portrayed accurately although they probably got it a little bit more right in the godfather movies you know but because that's that was such a big part of the italian culture yeah uh i did i did really appreciate how that was brought into it um but to answer your question uh, it's gonna be a long slow burn to get this to be portrayed and a lot of things have to happen in a certain order i think to get there right and i think at least the source of my podcast, my quest podcast, is I have a lot of different guests. I didn't want to make a podcast that was just all, I, I'm going to beat people over the head with religion every week. I wanted to bring the Bible. in, yeah, <laughs> they, they can get that in a million other places. And uh, one of the things I've liked in my life is that I've had a lot of different adventures and I've definitely had periods of poverty and periods of prosperity and <clears throat> all kinds of ups and downs and this roller coaster ride of stuff. But I've met so many interesting people and I've had so many interesting adventures that I wouldn't trade that for anything because it really, I've gotten to live life in that regard. And I've met so many people in so many different ways of life. And I find people fascinating. I love meeting new people and um, regardless of what they do. And uh, that's what I've done with the Quest podcast is, you know, you'll be on there one day and then there's an Olympic figure skater the next day. And then there's a famous religious sculptor the next day and then there's you know an actress the next day and like it's always someone different but the one core tenant that's important is that I ask them about their spirituality or their religion and I think it starts from people talking about that and admitting that rather than keeping it hidden there's no shame in saying that you're spiritual or that you're catholic or that you're baptist or that you're jewish no shame in that talk Mm -hmm. about it Exactly. Be, be proud of it that you are why are you not talking about it like are you embarrassed by it why would you be embarrassed by it it's right. unfathomable and i think it starts with people talking about that and yeah. uh you know and your your way of having uh you know your faith is different from the sculptor right and and you all have completely different approaches to things in how you deliver like you're great um verbally telling people you know what you know and talking to people and helping people that way where uh, where tim is tim schmalls is you know sculpting for god these right. great these great works of art and these you know that's his tribute like he may he be less effective. In different ways yeah exactly and that's what it comes down to and that actress that people really like for her to say i am spiritual she'll she'll say i can't go as far as to say i'm catholic or that i'm christian 
even though I was brought up Christian and I got away from it, I am still spiritual and I still believe in a God. I'm just trying to find my way. Well, that's acceptable too, because they're at least trying to find their way and navigate someplace and get somewhere. Right. And, uh, and that's what I want as I want people to mention that the only person not welcome on my show is the atheist, <laughs> you know, we have, we have nothing to talk about, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. Yeah. but, uh, but I think that's how it starts. And then, you know, you, maybe you get celebrities that become more open about it. Then maybe you get script writers that start to change their dynamic of stuff. And, and generationally, kids rebel against their parents in a lot of ways. And where people might get away from religion, the next generation, their kids will. So if you raise your kids without any spirituality, one day they're going to start to question what it is and they're going to find it on their own. Mm-hmm. Or if you raise your, that a lot today. Yeah. Or if you raise your kids you know, slapping them with a ruler, you're in church every day of the week, buddy. What is the first thing they're going to do when they get out on their own? They're never going to church again. So there's, you know, you've got it. There's this, there are these, you know, particular barriers that I think generationally we always hit. And I think you get swings one way or another. And, uh, you know, how, and hopefully we can get, you know, secular entertainment to start to kind of bridge that gap and Christian entertainment to become, to maybe go the other way a little bit more for the sake of educating people better. Uh, I, you know, I know we're kind of running long on time here. We probably have to wrap up soon, but I will mention one other thing I wanted to, to say. And I, I, th- I think it's interesting because it's this division between the two is like a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. You know, marijuana is legal in a lot of places now. Right. So I should overlook this in films, right? Like I have to accept it in a film because it's legal, right? Even though a family might say no alcohol, no drugs in this household, no one smokes, nothing, you know, even though it's legal, you know, some people will squirm seeing that portrayed in film, whether it's Christian entertainment or secular entertainment. Um, But that's versus kind of the depiction of heroin use, which is absolutely illegal. So you might have a problem with marijuana use, you might have a problem with heroin use. And, but everyone's going to have kind of a sliding scale on what they feel is worse. And it's the same with nudity. Like if some people think a body is artistically beautiful and what's wrong with that, what's wrong with that nudity? You know, God created these beautiful bodies. What's wrong with nudity? Really? You know, we've seen works of art that are nude and sculptures that are nude. What's wrong with the nude human form? Is it just nudity in the sake of of sexual content that's bad some people are going to see this in all different ways and uh, and i'm just wondering if these things can be used as a tool to deliver a great message in a christian film and that's where i i'm curious you know yeah definitely same i mean it's an interesting thing to you know explore because again it all boils down to maturity levels of the audience who the movie is going to be portrayed to and who you're targeting as the audience because Again, a movie that is extremely um, hard to watch, you know, it might be difficult to get people to watch it. Other people might be hungry for that deep, dramatic type of movie. And I think a lot of people today are just hungry for, you know, truth and for justice. I honestly think that's that's what they're hungry for. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, you mentioned something uh, before and you talked about. Uh, young people um, seeking out confession. Yes. And I think that that's really interesting that you said that because I think right now there's kind of this anti-psychology movement that's happening. 
especially this year, a lot of people have seeked out therapists more than ever before. And I always, whenever I have a psychologist on my podcast, I always talk about whether going to a priest or having a confession or just generally having your own prayers on your own communication with God individually, whether that can take the place of going to a psychologist. And I always get a lot of interesting mixed, um, mixed interest back on that when I ask that question, because some people say, oh, that's not an excuse for going to a real doctor, you know, and then some people say, no, as long as you can communicate it and get it out of your body, what's what's ailing you, then you're doing a service to yourself. So I think that's really interesting. And I, and I think, um, and I think Christian entertainment could take on a similar slant by discussing issues that are difficult. You know, like you, like you said, it's always like that it's that happy, perfect family there, but what can we make it an imperfect family so that it's more reflective of what's going on in the world and how it's fixed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when it comes down to it, it's like the sacraments are so important in our Catholic faith and, you know, confession in general is like a mini exorcism. It's amazing for overcoming those temptations and stuff. But when it comes to the psychological issues, such as guilt, depression, anxiety, and things like that, it definitely does not hurt to go to a professional, potentially a, hopefully a Catholic professional who can point (laughs) you spiritually in the right direction. Um, but it does not hurt to get that professional help. And I feel like a lot of people believe that in a sense, um, which this is true, obviously, you know, we should be, you know, uh, offering everything up to God, which is absolutely true. We should be. However, it does not hurt at all to get help for maybe a mental disorder that you are truly struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of like uh, had a conversation about, you know, what fiction in a way. And I think that there's a lot of Christian entertainment that is kind of the world of fiction because Mm. I know too many people that this is not their life. And although there, that is a lot of people's lives, Christian entertainment should be fair in not showing everything in a bubble. And I think that's the, that's the problem. And, uh, and I think at least in secular entertainment, you can have that, you can show a perfect family in secular entertainment it happens all the time mm-hmm. but they also show all the abnormal ab- abnormalities of people too and the dysfunctions of people and the problems that people have christian entertainment tends to just stick with one view and that's right. where they stay and i feel like christian entertainment could be more effective if they really dove into the problems that real people have because then what a great way i mean entertainment is advertising that's what it is you know that's what it's there for you know and in christian entertainment you're doing it to get people to the church and to remember to go to church and what the church can be used for it's it is propaganda um Mm -hmm. but why not really reach more people with what you can do with that and i think that's what mel gibson touched on with the passion of the christ and it certainly got a lot of attention and it actually did take people to church. It actually had people steer away from being Jewish because of the movie. <laughs> there was a lot of transitions that happened as a result of that film. And it came out, you know, you probably aren't old enough to really remember kind of all the, you know, no, the stuff that happened five. after that. Yeah. But all the stuff that happened after that, there were a lot of people that questioned their faiths mm. after that. There was a huge transition of people that wanted to just give up their uh, their Jewish way of life because of it. And there were people that did go to the flock to the Catholic church because of it. 
I remember specifically they talked about a miracle in a sense that happened when they were doing the crucifixion scene and the actor who's slipping my name right now, but the actor who was portraying Jesus when he was up on the cross actually got struck by lightning and there was this glow around him. And I believe he was dead for like a couple minutes and he was brought back. I I don't know about that specifically, but I know he was struck by lightning and there was this um, miraculous glow around him, the director said. And um, to them, it was just God's, sign of saying like i am here this is what my son went through like kind of thing um and i think that was amazing in itself like this guy like he was portraying jesus and literally going through everything that he went through and stuff like that and he was up on that cross and literally looking down at the directors and stuff basically seeing what jesus would have seen maybe not with as much pain because he was you know tied to it he wasn't actually (laughs) crucified But he actually got struck by lightning. And I think that in itself speaks levels. Yeah. There were a lot of paranormal type incidences that happened during the making of that movie. Yeah, And I I, I think a lot of people were on edge in a way because you're making a movie with this kind of content. It's like, it's like making a horror film in the Amityville house where murders Mm. happened. Like there's already going to be like a weird creep factor to it. And they held that they had the same issue with making a, an overtly a religious film like that, that, you know, there were a lot of weird, strange occurrences and, uh, and, you know, right. Signs are, signs are everywhere that you're doing right or you're doing wrong. It's funny. You know, it's funny what we got it. We actually, well, we almost need to break this up into two parts. We've talked so long <laughs> with stuff, but we didn't even really get into video games or books that much. So we ought to do a part two of this where we get into those things, because I really want to hear where you go with video games. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That'd be so cool. Because there's not a whole lot of good I can give from video games in general in terms of it's how basically kids are. But, kill, 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 die, die, die. Or I'm going to build something beautiful or I'm going to set on fire my world of Minecraft. Like there's no in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's really a weird dynamic and the effect that video games have on kids and kind of what it's it's done to a generation. And of course, the ultra violence that's in that and how people mm. like at least in a in a film, you're watching an experience right? where you are technically kind of living the experience in a video game. But we should save that for another pop culture episode. Yeah, because absolutely. this has been a lot of a lot of fun to do. You know, this, you know, we kind of come from two different sides of the coin here. And there's obviously there's no real right or wrong with these things. It's probably really all just a sliding scale. And we couldn't really, for the sake of art and the freedom of expression in general, we can't really say, let's end all secular cinema and it's only going to be Christian entertainment, you know? Well, that's the thing. It's like not everything that's secular is bad, you know? It's more like you just have to be careful. It it becomes, this stuff is really kind of an art and it's art in a lot of different ways from the cinematography of it to the acting in it, to the writing of it which would have been the same as a play hundreds of years ago. And, and, uh, and I think all these things are art and art is from God. And it's just a interesting perspective to think about all this. You know, I also wouldn't want to remove Christian entertainment. And I, and also think of, you know, we're lucky to be in America where we can have the freedom to say the things that we want, even if it makes someone's blood boil. Amen. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and that's the thing because like in great Britain, there's government run television stations and it's that way through a lot of Europe. Like Mm. at least we have independent networks that can run programming. We'll always be able to have multiple television channels on cable that cater 
to Christian entertainment. You don't get that in England. You know, you get right. the, the BBC one, two, three, four, five, six, however many they have now, and they put on whatever they want. It's government-run television. Right. So how do you actually have any kind of expression in that world? And I think that we're really lucky in what we are able to do here. And I'm willing to accept that there's always going to be some gratuitous sex and violence out there because I'll also know on the other end of the spectrum, we're also going to have good and decent Christian programming. I'm just hoping there's something in the middle that I can really be entertained by <laughs> and learn from, you know, right? And uh, and give me a good message. That's what I would I would want. Yeah, would I mean the real challenge. I would suggest Song of Bernadette to you, and also the newest Fatima movie or the older Fatima movie, which was also amazing. If you want to check those out, those are pretty good. Absolutely, I'll make you. I'll make sure you uh, you text those to me so I can yes. watch it. Absolutely. Sure. And I think overall, uh, I mean, we just need to remember that what we see, what we hear can really affect us. I mean, in our spiritual life, in our everyday life, how it shapes us. I mean, some of the most vulnerable people are children. And most of the time they are sitting in front of that TV. They're introducing tablets into school now. So it's just like, I really like to bring in like Matthew six twenty two, where it says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And I think we just really have to remember that no matter what we expose ourselves to and things, we still have to keep in mind, you know, is this something that is holy, is God worthy? You know, is this something that I'm taking, you know, personally, or is it something that is like, oh, it's a movie and I'm moving on from it. And God is still, you know, my main person. It, it's one of those things. And so I just wanted to kind of throw that in there, but um, I absolutely loved having this conversation. This was an amazing educational kind of talk. So this is really awesome. So thank you for joining me. Yeah. Anytime, anytime for sure. I, I love, uh, I love talking about this stuff and maybe we can get into uh, video games and books and maybe even YouTube at a future conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and where can people find you if they would like to find your podcast and stuff? Yeah. Well, um, my book, Metatomics, The Grand Design is available. It's out in bookstores now. You can find out about my Metatomics world um, at metatomics.org. And on that, you'll see the link to my podcast, which is called Quest. Um, and you'll see this one listed there too. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. <laughs> and uh, other podcasts that I produce. And um, so you can see all those good things. And those, they're available on Apple and Spotify, all the places where you get podcasts. And, uh, and just kind of briefly telling people kind of about what I've, I do um, with my research is I use science to back up biblical events and uh, try, to, uh, try to prove as much stuff as I can because science tends to want to uh, do away with God and the idea of spirituality and the idea of religion as best it can. And I wanted to kind of turn science on its ear and use that to support um, biblical events and stories and history that happened around it. So that's kind of what I do there. So it's really interesting to kind of look into that and see what I've been, what I've been working on. We love that. Also, you know, religion and science go hand in hand. Without religion, there would not be science. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I had a, an interview the other day with um, a, a UFO researcher and, uh, and it's someone I've worked with for a long time. We actually have a lot of science, a lot of groundbreaking science into the UFO crash at Roswell. And, uh, and, and it's always interesting to think about the idea of if there's life out there in the universe and if they've ever visited us and what it might be. And I have my own uh, theories on this in terms of 
angels and aliens being the same thing, just uh, kind of called different later in time in, uh, in how they were looked at historically and how it's looked at now. But, right. um, but, uh, but there's a lot, so we did a lot of like, um, we did an archeological dig of the UFO crash at Roswell site. And we proved that an event had happened there, whether it's extraterrestrial or whatever it was is to be determined, but we do know that something did happen there. Right. And, um, and it was interesting to have him come on the show and kind of talk about, you know, talk about the, the work that we did and, you know, his ideas on, on spirituality and stuff like that. So there's always something interesting that we're doing. And he mentioned, he said, you know, the Catholic church still owns more observatories than anyone in the world. <laughs> he reminded me that. And they do. They, so they're looking to the heavens for a reason, you know, and right. it's been that way for a long time. And a lot of, you know, the great thinkers have been Catholic and there's a reason for that. And, uh, and what, but what's happened is today we get to a world where scientists tend to want to just cast it off as it's not real. Mm. And I, I feel that's really unfortunate. I see it in the scientific community. I see it in academia. I see it in the medical community. Right. And I'll see a lot of people getting away from God. I've actually know I have several friends that have become doctors that kind of got away from their Christian faith as they became doctors because they came, became less convinced there was a God that wanted to save people because they were right. around so much death. And um, it's interesting how you address that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's totally a deep topic and we should totally go over that in another podcast. That'd be very interesting to talk about. Yeah. And the science that I bring into it are things like, you know, the flood narrative, lots of exactly. Old Testament stuff that I'm, I'm supporting through science. And uh, right. we have an expedition uh, in the near future to look for Sodom and Gomorrah. And right. um, because that's never really been accurately found. And we believe we might actually have the location for that. And uh, we're going to do an expedition to a place that no one's ever really went to, to uh, look at before. And what people don't get is like, the you know if you took religion out of the picture these were still cities on a map and they were huge cities they were important cities and they vanished seemingly overnight mm -hmm. from you know a wrath of god type right stuff. and and uh, the thing is is that they did exist and but well why can't we find them cities right. that were this big like why can we not find remains of them and we think we have the location of it now and the reason why is you know god doesn't want you to remember or know where that stuff is but there there's a fact-based culture right now that want they 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 need to have a little bit of fact to go with their faith they can't be faith over fact all the time mm -hmm. i know that's kind of anti of what you know your philosophy is but it's it's just my contribution to it to add a little bit more to it no, yeah, I, I appreciate the outlook too, because we always need extra perspectives as well. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely uh, an interesting topic. And I'm sure everyone would love to hear more about that in a uh, an up and coming episode where we can talk about stuff like that, because that sounds sure. really exciting. Well, this was fun. I hope everyone likes it. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for joining me. And of course, as you know, Todd said, you can find him on his Spotify and things like that and his other uh, and his book and everything. Um, but other than that, I think I'm going to wrap it up here. So thank you so much for being here with me and, you know, all my viewers. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. And I will see you guys in the next podcast. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.
Do you have questions or comments about today's episode? Email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with Amber Rose, The Religious Hippie. Please be sure and rate and review this podcast. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Be sure to like and follow The Religious Hippie on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, or visit her official website at thereligioushippie.com. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. And be sure to visit metatomics.org to see our listings of other unique podcasts.